Today I'm going to tell you why Trevor Bauer is the most overrated player in baseball and why you should avoid him in your fantasy leagues. I'll also review two hitting sabermetric stats that you should be familiar with for player evaluation going into this season. That's today on Fastball Fantasy Baseball. Before I get going today, I want to tell you guys about a new podcast called Laser Show, hosted by comedian Ryan O'Flanagan. You know Ryan from sketches like Dead Kevin. You've seen him on Netflix's American Vandal, on New Girl, and on Dave. You may have also seen his stand-up special on Comedy Central or his video shorts on social media like The Overexcited Tourist or Two Guys on a Bench. Either way, he's got a great podcast called Laser Show. He's telling stories about you know some wild experiences he's had, like getting a tattoo from maybe the craziest person alive and that time that he cried at a strip club. Uh, give it a listen. I highly recommend it. It's very funny, and if you like funny things and funny people, you'll like Laser Show. I'm Taylor Tarter, and this is Fastball Fantasy Baseball. Let's get into it. Well, it happened. Trevor Bauer signed with none other than the Los Angeles Dodgers. He adds to an arsenal that already features Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, Tony Gonsolin, Julio Urias, Dustin May, and David Price. Though, you know, there's potential that Price gets traded. Uh, that, that's been rumored uh, for a few days now. Uh, Bauer signed a three-year deal with opt-outs after each year. He said that he wanted to pitch on four days rest rather than five days. The Dodgers are very crafty about um their their rotation so it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate that how they navigate the structure of their starting rotation uh Gonsolin, Urias, and May could all be featured out of a, a very very deep bullpen at least to start the season uh and that really is going to impact their fantasy value uh so keep an eye on what Dodgers manager Dave Roberts says in the coming weeks as we approach spring training uh, and kind of keep an eye on uh, the team during spring training to get an idea of how they're going to be using their pitchers. Now let's get into what this signing means for fantasy baseball. He's going to a historically more pitcher-friendly park than Progressive Field in Cleveland and Great American in Cincinnati, which I'm sure factored in his decision. His career home runs per nine innings is over one per nine and having that number under one would make him a much better pitcher, uh, much closer to uh, elite. Another knock against him is that he walks a lot of batters. His average number of walks per nine innings is nearly three and a half. Now imagine putting nearly four batters on base every nine innings you pitch. That's what Trevor Bauer does. A lot of people are going to look at his spectacular 2020 numbers and say, oh, he's the best pitcher in baseball. They're going to draft him like a top five pitcher. They're going to look at his stat cast data like spin rate and say, oh, well, he's increased his spin rate on all of his pitches. So his strikeouts are increasing. But there is a lot to be desired with him. If you really dig into the 2020 data, you'll see that all of the advanced ERA metrics, FIP, XFIP, and Sierra, think that his ERA should have been at least a run higher, and for good reason. He walked over two batters per nine innings. He allowed over a home run per nine innings. He had an insanely low 215 BABIP, which, again, is a sign of luck for a pitcher. 
His left on base rate was 90%, and he'd never even touched 80% before. His ground ball rate was lower than it's ever been, meaning he was also getting lucky on fly balls and line drives, either going right to his defenders or having them make good plays, right? And that would be something that would keep his Babbitt down too. He's only had an ERA lower than 418 twice in his career, and in both of those years, 2018 and 2020, each advanced ERA metric thought his ERA should have been higher than what it was. The one thing Bauer is guaranteed to give you in 2021 is strikeouts. So if you draft him, that's what you should be drafting him for. Do not draft him assuming you're going to get 2020 or 2018 Bauer. 2020 Trevor Bauer was a product of a small sample size. I think players like Garrett Cole, DeGrom, Bieber, Darvish, Scherzer, and Giolito will all produce similar strikeout numbers with a better ERA in 2021 than Bauer. Or at least they'll have less of a chance of giving you the 390 career ERA of Trevor Bauer. I'd also take young, talented pitchers with upside like Walker Bueller, Jack Flaherty, and Luis Castillo ahead of him. For me, Bauer is sitting around starting pitcher 10 or 12, not pitcher 5. You know, uh, he should be drafted around Aaron Nola, Kershaw, Woodruff. But for me, he's just too risky of an option. There's nothing in his history that tells me that I should be drafting him like a top five pitcher. Someone in your league is going to draft him way too high, but he's going to be on my no draft list. I cannot believe, <laughs> I feel very passionately about this, I cannot believe a career 390 pitcher has the highest average annual value ever. But you know what? Good for him on cashing in on uh, a great fluke of a season. Carlos Correa also signed a little bit under the radar with the Bauer signing. He's returning to the Astros on a one-year deal. Uh, he's a solid shortstop option in fantasy, but I'm not sure we'll ever see the double-digit steals and double-digit home runs combo we saw in his first two years, in 2015 and 2016. What you do get from Correa is a solid floor and a solid ceiling, meaning you essentially know what he's going to give you before you draft him. While the Astros lineup isn't the juggernaut it was from 2017 to 2019 after losing Springer and seeing slumps from Bregman and Altuve in 2020, Correa should still be productive. He's a career 276 hitter, and anywhere in the high 260 to 270 range is what I'm expecting from him in uh, 2021. If he's healthy enough to see 500 at-bats, which he's only done once in his career, he's all but guaranteed to give you 20 home runs. That with a decent batting average and, you know, hitting in a in a hopefully solid lineup should entice you to draft Correa. Just know that he has a track record as an injury-prone player, so you may want to factor that into your roster construction. I have him just outside my top 10 shortstops, which is a position that's deeper than you think this year. Then Marcelo Zuna is uh, another player, uh, another big name who signed in the last week. He's returning on a four-year $64 million deal to the Braves, which I think is a great deal for the team. Uh, he's another player who I think gets overrated a lot in fantasy baseball. Uh, it's someone who I almost never end up with in draft in drafts because he gets picked higher than I value him. For some reason, people see Ozuna as the 2017 batter with 37 home runs and a 312 batting average. The following two years, 2018 and 2019, he had a 
280 and a 241 batting average, respectively, and uh, a home run count of 23 and 29. And this year, I expect that kind of same situation. People are going to overvalue the 338 average, the 18 home runs in 60 games. People might point to the fact that his walk rate increased as a positive, positive, and that's good for him. But in his two years, his, his best two years, 2017 and 2020, his BABIP was 355 and 391 compared to a 319 BABIP for his career. It is not difficult to see when players like him have these sort of anomaly years. Since 2013, he's had three seasons with a batting average above 269. He's had 90 or more RBI in a season one time. And he scored more than 80 runs in a season one time. He might get drafted in the same round as guys like Bryce Harper and uh, Eloy Jimenez, who have much more upside than Ozuna. I would draft Kyle Tucker and Luis uh, Robert ahead of Ozuna uh, for similar reasons. I just think the, the potential they have is more than what, you know, is, they have a higher floor and, and ceiling than Ozuna. I would draft Starling Marte ahead of him as well because of his potential to hit, you know, 20, 20, 20 home runs, 20 steals, have around a 280 average. I like Springer more than Ozuna too. I'll put Ozuna in my top 15 outfielders, but I'm not going to draft him like a lot of people will in the top, top 10 outfielders. I say don't believe the hype. Look at the data. Uh, there was also a trade in the last week, so let's get into that. Chris Davis, the uh, the good one, the Oakland one, was traded to Texas for a shortstop, Elvis Andrews. I don't really expect Andrews to be fantasy relevant. He might prove me wrong, um, you know, but he, he's going to be starting in, in Oakland. Oakland needed a shortstop after letting Marcus Semien walk. Uh, now they have uh, Elvis Andrews, but I just don't think he's going to provide enough uh, power or steals to really be a legit fantasy option unless you're in a very deep league. Uh, I think this is a sign that Isaiah Kiner-Falefa will be the starting shortstop for the Rangers. Uh, he's going to be a player that has eligibility at several positions. Uh, I think catcher as well, which is going to be really advantageous if you draft him. Having a, a productive player like him at catcher that's also eligible at other positions creates a lot of great flexibility for your lineup so that's something to consider as you do mock drafts and real ones uh, seeing where you can get a player like him and I've said it before but I actually really like what Texas is doing with their lineup they're stacking power bats and although they might have one of the worst strikeout rates as a club they might lead the, lead the league in home runs they have a lot of positional flexibility um, you know lots of players who can play multiple positions lots they're I feel like they're going to be doing a lot of platooning, which could end up hurting the fantasy value of a lot of their players. So I'm assuming that Chris Davis is going to be probably platooning at designated hitter. Um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it turns out, how they use him uh, in their lineup. They do have a lot of guys like Willie Calhoun, uh, who could be a DH uh, they, you know, there's their their team is full of uh, uh, DH type of players, Nick Solak. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. I think if he gets, uh, if Chris Davis gets 
a good amount of at-bats at DH. I think there's a chance that he could, uh, you know, return to home run form in Texas. Sometimes players just need a change of scenery. He has suffered from some bad luck in, t- in the last two seasons with a lower than normal Babbitt, but, you know, he, and he had a dip in hard contact rate uh, last season, but, you know, he typically has really good hard contact rate, and usually that translates into power, so um, he, he could be a good option. He's going to be a player I'm watching in spring training. I tend not to draft players who are only DH eligible because they limit your roster construction, but I might consider drafting Davis if he falls to me deep enough in the draft. Again, I'm kind of in the in the wait-and-see mode. How's he looking during spring training? How's the team using him? In the back half of the episode today, I'm going to do a crash course on hard contact and BABIP, which I've been talking about a lot. They're two of the first things I look at when doing pre-draft player scouting and scouting throughout the season. So I'll get to that right after a word from my sponsor. One of the first things I go to when I look for good hitters is hard contact percent, otherwise known as hard contact rate or hard hit rate. Basically, the stat shows you how well a ball is being hit by a player. It's divided into three categories, soft, medium, and hard contact. What you want to focus on is hard contact because that shows the percentage of the best hits by a player. One thing to remember is don't look at any stat that I go over like this in a vacuum. You need to look at all kinds of stats together to get a full picture of a player. I look at hard contact rate because it tells me who's hitting the ball well most of the time, and it's great for finding players who may be hitting really well but are getting unlucky. If a player has like a 50% hard contact rate, but a 170 Babbitt, it's reasonable to assume that they're just hitting into some bad luck. So a player like that might turn it around, uh, you know, sooner rather than later. Could be a great buy low target, you know, somebody under the radar. And so that's why it's important to look at hard hit rate as part of a bigger picture. Uh, It's easy to find on fan graphs. If you look under the leaderboard option for batters, you can sort by various stats. Uh, you can look up certain you know, players individually and, and find their hard contact rate that way. In 2020, the leader in hard contact rate was uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. No surprise. Look at what he did. Uh, Corey Seager, Ronald Acuna, Tasker Hernandez, Miguel Sano, Will Myers, Marcelo Zuna, Mookie Betts, Christian Walker, and Eloy Jimenez round out the top 10 in hard contact. A lot of them had really productive seasons last year, and part of the reason is they hit the ball really, really hard. Um, other things that play into the production uh, you know, are things like launch angle, exit velocity, the ratios of line drives, ground balls, fly balls, and you know, so those things factor in, but again, hard contact is a good sign. Uh, as for kind of under-the-radar players, Second baseman Brandon Lau is someone who will probably go under the radar at least a little bit uh, in in the second base, uh, um, out of second baseman. But he had a really good hard contact last season, and he should be a target for you in 2021. And the same goes for first baseman Christian Walker. Another stat that is 
really, really important for me to consider when evaluating and scouting players is BABIP. And you've definitely heard me talk about it on the podcast before. I've mentioned it a few times today. Understanding BABIP can help you tell when a player is overvalued or undervalued. It can influence how you buy and sell certain players. BABIP stands for batting average on balls in play. And it's commonly referred to as the uh, batting luck statistic. It measures how often a ball in play goes for a hit, but it doesn't factor in home runs, strikeouts, walks, sack bunts, or being hit by a pitch. Uh, And it also doesn't factor in catcher interference. Essentially what it does is it tells you what is happening for a hitter when he hits the ball and it stays somewhere in the field of play. So did he get on base via a hit? Did a lousy defender miss an easy catch or a throw? That'll make the BABIP go higher. Did a gold glover get to a ball for an amazing out? That'll make the BABIP go lower. All of these things are factored into BABIP. One thing to understand about it is that a standard BABIP is different for every single player. In baseball, we like to say that a good batting average is 300, but that doesn't necessarily work for for BABIP. Yes, a BABIP of 300 could be good, For a player, could reflect that a hitter is doing well, but not everyone hovers around that level. Some batters have a career 350 BABIP, and others have a career 270 BABIP, and both can be decent hitters. What you have to do when looking at BABIP is compare it to the player's uh, current, compare the player's current BABIP with his career, and that should help you kind of gauge if he's underperforming, overperforming or doing exactly what he should be doing. Another reason why this is an important stat is because, you know, again, it can change from player to player so much. Uh, Some hitters are just uh, better hitters than other people, and their BABIP reflects that. Mike Trout has a career 351 BABIP, and his career batting average is, is around 300, right? He's an amazing hitter, maybe the best of our time, maybe the best of all time. And one reason his BABIP is probably so high is that he's able to essentially put the ball where he wants to. He's an elite hard contact hitter, so he hits the ball hard to places where the fielders can't get to them. You know, and because the ball is, uh, you know, hard, the harder the ball is hit, the more likely it is to be a hit. And if a player is hitting a bunch of line drives with good contact, they're likely to have a higher BABIP. It also factors in opposing defense. If a player is hitting the ball into a shift all the time, it's likely their BABIP drops. And if they're playing against a team full of gold glove caliber players, it's likely their BABIP drops. The reverse would go for uh, batters not getting shifted on and playing against lousy defenses. So this is why BABIP is considered to reflect luck. Um, So another player that has a really good career BABIP uh, that you might not realize is uh, Shin Su Chu, uh, who has a 338 career BABIP and a 277 career batting average. So how does that happen? Right, he's an outstanding line drive header over his career. He spreads the ball, you know, all around the field. He's difficult to shift against. Early in his career, he was very quick. He could reach base on, you know, hard or deep infield hits. So while he might have a BABIP that's very, very close to Mike Trout's, we wouldn't consider them even close to the same caliber of player. That's why you can't compare BABIPs between players. Michael Conforto 
had the highest BABIP in the MLB in 2020. It was the highest BABIP of his career. And coincidentally, he had the best batting average of his career. We saw similar situations with Ramel Tapia, Marcelo Zuna, and Donovan Solano that uh, last year as well. They had BABIPs that were all so much higher than usual. They had really good seasons of batting average. But it's important to recognize that it likely won't happen again. It's a stat you can use to evaluate hitters who had good and bad seasons in 2020 to see if they hit into some bad luck or good luck and if that might have influenced their output. But it's also something helpful to pay attention to during the season as well. You can find BABIP really easily on fan graphs as well. Next week, I'll dig into whatever baseball news we get. I'll give you the fantasy baseball side of things. Uh, I, I think I'm going to have a guest next week. I'll do a crash course and a few more hitting sabermetric stats that you can look into as you scout for the coming season that you can use to make decisions during the season. So we'll stick r- f- uh, with a few recap episodes like that uh, as we get closer to spring training, which should start on time. Um, you know, it's... Uh, we're also going to get into uh, mock drafts as well. I'll be doing some episodes where I review mock drafts, evaluate them. I also plan on publishing player rankings this year. I'll let you know when and where those rankings become available, so make sure you've subscribed so you're notified when all of that news publishes. I'm also writing fantasy baseball and baseball betting articles for thegameday.com, so check out my articles there. I'll be writing about some things that I cover here on the podcast but I might spend more time on certain players or certain topics that I don't cover here. Um, and, you know, I might go over entirely different material. So make sure to check out thegameday.com and go to MLB. Finally, please give the show a five-star rating. Each high rating helps move my podcasts up the list on all the podcast platforms when people search for fantasy baseball. So, you know, it's one of those things that really helps me out. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Fastball Fantasy Baseball. You can follow me on Twitter at Fastball Pod. And uh, as always, feel free to email the show at fastballfantasybaseball at gmail.com. Uh, I'm open to any comments. If you need uh, draft questions, uh, keeper questions, whatever, send me an email. Uh, I will reply. And thanks for listening.